You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. For 16 years of our life, we lived in the state of Kansas, pastoring a church near Wichita, Kansas. And one of the um, one of the things that Kansas was known for wasn't known for a lot, but one of the things it was known for was uh, the fact that it was part of Tornado Alley, and we we did get a lot of tornadoes. Uh, Tornado Alley comes from Texas and up through Oklahoma and wraps around through Kansas and heads on into Missouri. That's Tornado Alley. So every spring uh, into the early summer, that's where the storm chasers go by and large. I like watching that when I watch it on TV. That's where they go. They're camping out in that whole area and they're, they're chasing powerful thunderstorms, hoping that they can capture a tornado. Uh, and some of them have built vehicles to actually go into the path of a tornado and hopefully survive it. And so I enjoy watching that just because of, of the uh, raw power of a tornado. Well, there was one spring day uh, in probably the early 90s. I don't remember the year, but I do remember that uh, it was a very clear day, not a cloud in the sky, a beautiful spring day, warm and pleasant. And I remember being in the, the living room area of our house, and a couple of our kids were there. I don't know which ones. But I know that our oldest son, Jonathan, who was an older preteen at that time, was off in another part of the house down the hallway. And it rolled around noon, and the sirens went off because they would periodically test the sirens um, for tornado warnings. And so it had particular sound to it uh, and length of sound. And so... I knew that's what they were doing. They were just testing the siren for uh, tornadoes. And so being the ornery dad that I was, uh, and probably still am, uh, I just kind of did my voice in a throw-off kind of a way to make it sound like it was coming from another source, try to anyway, and, uh, and I was saying, tornado, 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 and all of a sudden, I hear somebody running down the hallway, right past us, to open the basement door, right down the steps, and downstairs, and it was Jonathan. <laughs> and he thought a tornado was coming. <laughs> Apparently, he wasn't paying attention to what it was doing outside. And we just laughed and laughed about that, and I still laugh about that in my mind and chuckle about that in my mind. But he heard me, his dad, saying, tornado, tornado, and... Uh, didn't pay attention to any of the circumstances around him because he was giving heed to my voice. And he took off like a jackrabbit downstairs. Well, we come to Hebrews chapter 2, and the writer of the book of Hebrews transitions to an exhortation. And it's a strong exhortation. And he's using the voice of his pen to communicate with uh, primarily... Uh, Jewish believers, Jewish people who had heard the gospel, had heard the gospel fully explained, um, and were considering uh, the, the confession and profession of Christ as Lord and Savior, and other 
uh, Jews and Gentiles who had heard it, but were not at a point of really being open to it, but nevertheless were open enough to where they were listening to the message of the gospel. And the writer of the Hebrews is, is sounding a warning to them as we begin chapter 2. And it is a strong warning, a passionate warning, that we cannot continue, that the readers could not continue, and that people throughout every generation cannot continue to listen to the message of Jesus Christ as though it's just information. Like other bits or pieces or bodies of information out there, people might consider just information. It is information, but this is the information that supersedes all other information. It is the message that supersedes all other messages. It is the person that supersedes all other persons. Don't treat him in your thoughts and in your responses as though you can simply listen to the message, listen to the person of Jesus Christ, and not take action. The expectation of God as it relates to the person of Jesus Christ and the message of Jesus Christ is that action will be taken. That's why Paul, the apostle, uh, is recorded by Luke as, as stating in his ministry and in his preaching that he commands all men everywhere to repent. He doesn't suggest it. It is a, a strong statement. His expectation is that as Jesus Christ is laid out before the hearers, who he is, who we are, and what God has provided for us in the person of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, that there will be repentance, that there will be a turning from their sin and a turning to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That, that was the attitude and the mentality that our Lord had, that the apostles possessed, that the early uh, preachers had in the church, that as the message was communicated, people were to respond to that message because of the nature of that message and the gravity of that message. So that's why we read what we read in Hebrews chapter 2 as we begin this section. And in this section, we will see that Jesus Christ is unique in that his message is a greater message than the angels. It's a transition from chapter 1 where the writer has been emphasizing that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. Do not consider him to be less than he is. Even though there were those who were seeking to or who already had uh, considered him as, as a great angelic messenger, chapter 1 is all about do not do that. He is infinitely greater than. He is infinitely different than the angels. So even though you may have a high reverence for angels, as he states in chapter 1 and indicates in chapter 1, do not reduce Jesus Christ down to a great angel. Or during the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, when he asked, who do men say that I am? Some Elijah, some Jeremiah, some a great prophet. Don't reduce him down to a great prophet. As highly as you may regard a great prophet, don't reduce Jesus Christ down to merely a great prophet or merely a great angel such as Michael or Gabriel. He is Jesus Christ, God the Son, and that is what is powerfully presented in chapter 1. 
Now we're transitioning to chapter 2, and the, the emphasis is that there's a message communicated by Jesus Christ. This message is priority. This message supersedes all other messages concerning anything that any human being hears in his or her lifetime. Because of the person that it comes from and because of the nature of the message. Mean business with the person of the message, Jesus Christ. Mean business with the substance of the message, the full expression of the gospel. And don't be indifferent. Don't be indifferent to this great body of truth that has been proclaimed and is being proclaimed through Jesus Christ. So he has a message that is greater than that of the angels. And in verses 1 through 4 of this chapter, we see that it is a message that talks about a greater salvation. Let's read these verses and then let's begin to unpack it. Therefore, we must give the more, more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? <clears throat> God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So let's begin to unpack this incredible portion of Scripture. It is filled with urgency and passion. In verse 1, we see man's urgent responsibility. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. The word therefore is referring back to all that has been communicated up to that point, which is the substance of chapter 1. On the basis of who Jesus Christ is, God the Son, who supersedes all prophets, any angelic being, he is to be listened to differently. Do you remember the old commercial? Only those of you who are a bit older would remember this commercial. Those of you who are probably 40 and younger, maybe 45 and younger, you may not even remember this commercial. But there used to be a commercial concerning an investment company called E.F. Hutton. And when a group of people would be gathered in any kind of a social gathering, and they had a variety of social gatherings that they displayed in these commercials, and someone would, in conversation, with all the other conversation going on around in this gathering of people, say, E.F. Hutton said everybody would go instantly quiet and listen to that person. And it was to drive home the point that this investment house of E.F. Hutton, that their message on investments superseded the uh, message of all other investment companies. That's, that's what they wanted to drive so that more people would go to E.F. Hutton and uh, use their investment strategies. So how many of you remember that commercial? See? <laughs> it bears true, <laughs> as far as the age you need to be to remember that commercial. 
When Jesus Christ speaks, all of humanity should grow silent and listen. Now, we think, seem to think in the 21st century, our century, that there's a great deal of indifference to God, the God revealed in scriptures, and the message of the scriptures. And that's correct. There is a lot of indifference. To some degree, hostility. But guess what? The one who articulated that message bumped into a lot of indifference too. Jesus Christ. God come in human flesh, the one who dwelt among his people, the Jewish people. After his death, burial, and resurrection, after three years of ministry, of preaching, teaching, doing a variety of miracles, being crucified, buried, and then resurrected. The most powerful statement of supernatural power had been witnessed by a number of people in Israel at that time. And when the moment came for the church to be born, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, how many people were gathered together on that day known as Pentecost in that room? 12,000? 120,000? How many? 120. That means there's a lot of indifference to the person of Jesus Christ, to the message of Jesus Christ, to the work of Jesus Christ. But it didn't deter him, and it didn't deter those early believers and subsequent believers through all generations. So the writer of Hebrews is not addressing an attitude that was new and fresh but one that was, had already been there and one that continues to be there. But the warning is still the same. Listen to Jesus Christ. You have to take him seriously. You cannot dismiss him. You cannot dismiss his message. That is not an option. There will come a day of accountability. So as we move through Hebrews, we're going to continue to bump into warnings to take the message that is before them seriously, and that, that people today need to take the message of Jesus Christ that is placed before them seriously. Do not dismiss it. Do not relegate it as just simply another message among a number of messages, one voice among many voices. No, this is the voice. This is the message. So therefore, because Jesus Christ, God the Son, has come among us, is exalted by God. Listen to him differently than anyone else. He goes on to say 
and emphasize the urgency of this. In one word, in one three-letter word in the Greek, day, not D-A-Y, but D-E-I. And we read it in our scriptures as we must. And that's a good translation. But when you unpack the, the emphasis and strength of this word in its original setting, it means we must day and it has the force of we must of necessity. This is necessary. This is something that absolutely must be done. We must, therefore, because of who Christ is, do this. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. This word, this phrase, this expression, give more earnest heed, is simply saying this with loud, flashing emphasis. Priority attention, priority attention, priority attention that supersedes any other considerations, any other thoughts. We must, of necessity, give more earnest heed. to the things we have heard. This is a message that had been communicated by Jesus Christ, by the apostles, by those who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, had repented and come to faith in Jesus Christ, and were now articulating the message as well. It's what they had heard. There's substance to this message. And, and there's not a, a variety to this message in that each person gives their own spin to it. This message is clear. This message is precise. This message is the same. Whether Jesus Christ was proclaiming it, whether the apostles were proclaiming it, whether those who had come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of the ministry of the apostles, the message is the same. But it is what was heard and embraced and now being communicated once again. It is the same message that you and I proclaim today from the Word of God. And it's a message that needs to be heard, but in being heard, it needs to be given attention to. So that those that we speak to, those that God, by His grace and in His, in His providence, brings into our lives, and we have the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus Christ, to communicate this glorious message of the gospel. And especially as we've had opportunity to more extensively explain that message, at some point, those who are hearing need to understand that there's an urgency to this. That there is a priority to this message that they must give attention to. You know, when I'm driving around, I often hear this same commercial that uh, gets replayed over and over again concerning Investments in commodities like gold and silver and that type of thing. You've heard it too if you've listened much to the radio. But they allude back to much earlier in this calendar year to when there was the stock market just going way over what it uh, had been, it exceeded the high that it had before. And then not too long after that, the stock market didn't crash, but it lost a lot of its value 
in a short period of time. And so they're still talking about that. To drive people to buy gold and silver or whatever commodity they're selling. Even though in investment terms, that's ancient history. But they're using that to say, here's priority. Listen to this. There's lots of messages out there, lots of people talking about investments and and putting your money here and putting your money there. But we want you to listen to our message in a priority way so that it supersedes those other voices so that you direct some of your investments, perhaps a lot of your investments, into these commodities that we are seeking to sell you. Those who hear the message of Jesus Christ, who, to whom the, the message of Jesus Christ is communicated, at some point need to understand that this is a message and a person that, to whom you must give priority. We need to communicate that at some point. Not out of the get-go. Not the first time we talk to someone about Jesus Christ. But it's some, these people have heard the message. They were exposed to it and, and exposed thoroughly to it. It wasn't a, a superficial exposure. There was a thorough exposure to Jesus Christ in the message of the gospel. And the writer is saying, you cannot stay in this attitude of non-action. That's not an option. Because of the nature of the truth, the nature of the gospel, the nature of God's working. Because there is a danger There's a danger to not acting on the truth. It's not like we can say, oh, that is really helpful information. I'm going to put that in my back pocket, and whenever I think it becomes useful to me, namely, when I'm in the throes of death, I'll take action on it. We don't, have, we don't have that option because we never know when that point of physical death is going to happen. Here's the danger. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, namely concerning Christ and the gospel, the great truths and depths and breadth of the gospel, We must do this lest we drift away. This word drift away is used in the Greek language of a river that flows or perhaps the part of a river that flows beyond the banks. So it's it's, it's that water that's overflowed, not a torrent type of thing, but it's it's just there and it's just kind of got maybe a, a, a slow current to it and it's just kind of barely moving. It's just kind of drifting along or or something that slips from one's memory, which as I get older, happens on a more regular basis. (laughs) It really does. Names, it's like, yeah, I know that person. And not from a distant meeting. (laughs) It's like, Jeff, George, Sam, Jeff. (laughs) It just kind of meanders away from the memory and if we're not careful then it just kind of gets so far away in the memory that it's like 
I, I just cannot bring that back. Like it's been far enough in my memory from that event in Kansas that I just know that I, some of my kids were up there with me, but I couldn't tell you which ones. I just know that Jonathan was at the other end of the house because that's the, that's the funny part, so that sticks out to me. But it has drifted away in my memory as far as those particular details. But it also indicates a ship drifting away, just slowly unmoored and drifting away. And at some point, it's going to be beyond the ability to retrieve. That, that's the concept, that's the word picture that the author is painting here and using under the guidance of the Spirit of God. In other words, the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel is of such importance and such priority that if we treat it, if anyone treats it with indifference, there's a danger. There's a danger that that indifference will continue to carry on, and then when the moment comes, or when the moment in life comes to where you really need the gospel, you have treated it so indifferently that it's beyond your ability to retrieve. It's not like we can stick it in the pocket of our mind and say, okay, now it's time for me to pull out this information and act on it. Our neighborhood has a Facebook page, and they post a lot of stuff on there. And one day, one of our neighbors, doesn't live too close to us, posted that whoever is mowing their lawn and throwing the grass clippings from their mower out on the street, stop doing that because... That grass is like ice to those who are driving motorcycles. And that was probably a couple months ago. And whoever, well, this neighbor continues to throw the grass out on the street. I have no idea if the neighbor is saying, I don't care what you say. I want to mow it and throw it on the street, and I'm going to do it anyway. I, I have no idea. And so it was posted again this week with a, a picture of someone with uh, emergency vehicles there of a motorcyclist who had come across some mowed grass on the street and they had an accident. It was like ice. And so they posted it there and again with the exhortation that if you're, you know, whoever you are that's mowing this grass, you know, would you throw it, not throw it on the street? I rarely say anything, but I did this time. And I said, has it ever dawned on you that the person throwing the grass clippings onto the street may not be on Facebook? <laughs> and encourage them to go and talk to that neighbor personally. But I thank them for putting that information out there because I did not know that. And so now I have that information in the back pocket of my mind. And when the time comes for me to mow the lawn, which is rare because Susan does that because she loves to. <laughs> she loves, she does, she'll tell you that. She loves to mow the lawn. 
and I don't want to deprive her of something that she loves. <laughs> I don't mind mowing it either. But I know that when I mow again, I'll pull that information out of the back of my mind and I won't throw grass clippings on the street because that's helpful information. We can't deal with Jesus Christ and the gospel that way. We cannot say, I'm going to put that in the back of my mind, and then when at some point in life it becomes necessary, I'm going to pull that information out and act on it. The danger is that it will have drifted so far away from us that we'll not be able to retrieve it and act on it. That is a warning that those who hear the message of the gospel need to understand that you cannot simply continue to be indifferent of or dismissive of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. It's dangerous to do so. You need to take action on the message of the gospel, the action that God calls us to, which is repentance toward him and faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Here's man's responsibility to act on Christ's message in verses 2 through 4. The writer says, angels are important, very important in the work and ministry of God. Angels were engaged by God in the giving of the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He doesn't break down the details for us as to how all of that occurred, but it's acknowledged here and acknowledged elsewhere in Scripture. And since there is this high regard for angels among those who are initially hearing this message and reading this message. He's saying, listen, if God held people accountable for the, his message, it was communicated through angels. How much more will he hold men accountable for the message communicated through his own son? Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's read verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and it did. The word spoken is the Old Testament. So on some level, in some way, God used angels to communicate that message. Moses recorded it. The message is from God via the ministry of angels. And Moses recorded what God wanted recorded. And... It was given to the people, the children, the nation of Israel. But it was God's message. And it proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. If God held accountable the Jewish people for what was communicated through angels, certainly he is going to hold accountable, even on a greater level, what was communicated through his son, Jesus Christ. So he brings in that contrast. He says, consider God's message communicated through Jesus Christ, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? We there is just a, a, a broad we. 
Obviously, the writer had trusted Christ, repented and trusted Christ as Savior. He's speaking to everyone, and he says, How shall we escape the message of Jesus Christ communicated by God the Son? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If we fail to take action on it, if we just simply tuck it away in the back of our mind as information to be acted on perhaps sometime, someplace, if we feel the need to do so. We can't treat Jesus Christ as human beings. We cannot treat his message in such a dismissive, nonchalant way is what the writer is saying. And he's urging those who have not yet come to Christ, do not be at a place where you fail to take action on the gospel. Don't stay there. You've heard the message. You know the expectation of God. Please act on this message. Verse 3. We see the priority of Christ's message. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I think of a couple of times when our Lord said to a small group of the disciples on one occasion and then another occasion at his baptism. This is my beloved son. What? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What? Hear ye Him. Listen to Him. His voice is to supersede all other voices. His message is to supersede all other messages. Because of who He is, hear Him. He's my beloved Son. I'm well pleased in Him. Listen to my son. If we neglect the message of Jesus Christ, if anyone neglects the message of Jesus Christ, they're neglecting not just the message. They're neglecting the message. The message for which Christ died. The message for which the triune God fully extended himself in love to a corrupt and sinful humanity that did not ask for him to take action on man's behalf. And they're treating that message and that person who bore that message with dismissiveness. Or nonchalantly. Or as if there's no urgency to take action because of the need of their soul. So he's talking about attitude. He's talking about attitude toward Christ, toward the message of Christ. It's dangerous to be dismissive of Christ. Dismissive of his message. Disengaged. The answer to that is, there is no escape. 
If we neglect the salvation that God has provided through Jesus Christ, there is no escape. There is no other way. As our Lord himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, God the Son, said that. In Matthew chapter 16, when again our Lord asked the apostles, who do you think that I am? And their response was, you are the Christ. Peter's response was, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. The uniqueness of that message. And then in another occasion, Peter and the apostles said, to whom shall we go? Do you have the what? Words of life. It's the message of Jesus Christ. He supersedes everyone else. His message supersedes all other messages. There are not many ways to God. There are not many gods. There's but one God existing eternally in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's but one way to be restored to a right relationship with Him. But first, an individual needs to understand that I need to have a right relationship with God, and that's where the gospel begins, with man's condition, with man's need. And then once a man understands, a woman understands their need of a Savior, then they need to understand, but there's one, there only is one way to be restored to a right relationship with this one God, and that's through the Son, Jesus Christ. So there's a priority message. There is no escape if that message is neglected. That neglect can be intentional. Neglect can be unintentional, but it's still neglect. There's a danger of drifting away from Christ's message. In verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? Who heard him initially? The disciples who became the apostles. And it was communicated to people like the writer of Hebrews and many others. He said, we heard this message communicated initially by our Lord Jesus Christ, faithfully communicated, accurately communicated by the apostles, and we've heard this message. It is the message of Christ, and we're in danger, you're in danger of drifting away from that message, of just letting it drift slowly away. In the urgency of your conscience, in the urgency of your mind, in the urgency of your heart, you're just treating Jesus Christ and treating this message as though you don't need to take action on it, and it's just drifting, drifting it's that message the communicators of Christ's message also in this verse Jesus Christ, the apostles and those who embrace the message 
of Jesus Christ communicated through the apostles. That's the message that you and I have embraced because there have been generations of faithful believers communicating clearly and accurately the message of the gospel right up to the present. And at some point in your life, you took action on that message. You took action on the person of Jesus Christ and you repented before God. You repented of your sin and you turned to Christ and you trusted Him as the only Savior from your sins. You took action. For some, it was soon after hearing the gospel. For others, it was years after hearing the gospel repeated to them over and over again. But at some point, you took action and you turned from your own way. You turned from your sin. You repented and you turned to Christ. This message is to those who hear the message and are just not taking action. Being indifferent before God is not an option. That's what the scriptures are telling us. Then there's the verification of Christ's message in verse 4. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. And during the life of Jesus Christ, there were signs, there were wonders, there were miracles, there were healings, because that was all part of the verification of the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the message of Jesus Christ, and the Jewish people understood that. They understood from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah, when he came among them, would be healing people of their diseases. He would be doing miracles. He would be uh, doing signs. And he did. Just read the Gospels, and, and we can see event after event after event where that happened. It was a verification of his person and of his message. And then in the apostolic era, when, when the scriptures were still being recorded and written before they were completed, the apostles and, and certain others in the church, under the sovereignty of the Spirit of God and the sovereign working of the Spirit of God, they did signs and wonders and miracles. Not, not all the time, but at strategic points. The Spirit of God enabled them to do so. And it verified their authenticity as a servant of Jesus Christ, as an apostle, as a prophet, as a communicator of revelation from God. That's the purpose of signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So those reading this letter would understand that Jesus Christ was authenticated in fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures through the signs, wonders, and miracles that he did, but not just his person, his message. So the exhortation remains. You must, of necessity, listen to Jesus Christ in this message differently 
and with greater priority than any other message. Turn from your Judaism and turn to Christ. Turn from your paganism and turn to Christ. Yesterday I was reading, I'll close with this, I was reading from the Voice of the Martyrs magazine and it primarily focused on Iran and the uh, a little window of understanding of what God is doing among the people of Iran and the Muslim population and many are coming to Christ not a majority but many are coming to Christ and this tracked the story of a couple who had come to Christ they were from Iran and they chose to go back into Iran to minister the gospel and tell the the Iranian people that they could connect with about Christ. And it began with their family. And progressively their family came to Christ. Many in their family came to Christ. And then it, it began to spread out beyond that. But what they had to do living in that country when they would meet together as believers is that they had to uh, meet with great privacy and secrecy. And one night the police showed up arrested the wife and the husband came back from a ministry that he was doing and they arrested him and he, they were she was in in jail for two weeks he was in jail for a month as they tried to get information from them about the network of believers in Iran and they talked about how God was working among the Islamic population and many Muslims had come to Christ and when it came time for them to be baptized, many times that occurred early in the morning hours and very privately with a few, just a very few Iranians, I mean less than a half dozen, gathered around. And they would be baptized. And in their baptism, it was a statement that they were making that they believed in Jesus Christ as God the Son and in him is salvation. The flip side of that is that they were rejecting Islam. That baptism was that statement. They gave priority to the message and they acted on the message and baptism was simply an expression of that priority. Baptism did not save them. Baptism was an expression of their salvation of that identity now that they have in Christ, which meant they were no longer identified with the religious system of Islam. They understood that. They, urged, they took urgency in the message, and they acted on the message. And they understood the consequences of taking action on that message. And that was true for these Jewish readers as well. They understood that in coming to Christ, that meant that they were turning away from Judaism. And that would bring persecution. But even though that was a reality, there was still the appeal that the readers and that those who heard the message of the gospel needed to act on it and not be indifferent. That's the significance of Jesus Christ. That's the significance of the message. It means we are uniquely identifying ourselves with the unique Son of God and the unique message of the gospel. And we embrace it. But it's a message that, having been heard, 
needs to be acted on. Have you acted on that message? Have you embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior? If death came knocking at any of the door of our lives today, would we step into God's presence because we have genuinely acted on the person of Christ and the message of the gospel? Or would we find ourselves eternally separated from God in the outer darkness of hell? That's how urgent this message is, and that's why it must take priority over every other message, over every other voice that is out there today, not just religious, but any other voice that we allow to occupy our attention, occupy our minds, occupy our considerations. The person of Christ and the message of the gospel supersedes all other messages. Do you know him? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, today for the blessing and the privilege of being here together. And thank you for providing yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son that whoever among us believes in him, we will not perish, but we will have eternal life, everlasting life. And for this we give you thanks. But Lord, that only becomes a reality in our lives when we take seriously and give priority to Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel and take the action that you call us to of repentance toward you and faith in Christ Jesus. Bind this message to our minds and hearts. If we have truly trusted Christ as Savior, help us, Father, as we communicate this glorious message to those that you have in our lives that do not know Christ. And Father, as we communicate it, to communicate it with that passion and that energy and that urgency. And at some point, Father, uh, to communicate to them that it is vital that they take action and not drift away from God the Son and the message of the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.